she's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom. We're women. We're moms. We're Muslims. And we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Before we get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is we're not giving any kind of religious or medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because we just happen to be two Muslim women who like sex. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Sada Floti. And I'm Zabin Mirza. This episode, we're talking about everything you need to know about sex. Should we get started, Sadaf? Let's. So I have some notes here for the topics we're going to talk about today. And the only thing I have on point number one is masturbation. So I don't know where we were going with that, but what would you like to share with all of us, Sadaf, about masturbation today? So um, Zabine masturbation, also known as self-pleasuring, is the act of touching, rubbing, or stimulating the genitals or other parts of the body for sexual pleasure, usually to the point of orgasm. This can be done individually as an act of self-exploration, or it can be done between two people, mutual masturbation. And masturbation is healthy. Absolutely. And it's normal. Absolutely. And there is nothing wrong with masturbating. Nope, not at all. So what happens, so when would you say, so for all the horrified parents and and people and, and others that are listening, when do people typically start masturbating? That's a good question, Sabine. Um, you know, I would think that it's probably around the time when women start to go through puberty, right? They're starting to explore. They're starting to notice things that are changing within their body, with their breasts, um, their pubic area. And I would think that as they start to explore, they start to notice things that cause excitement and arousal. And that would be, you know, a usual time that a woman or a girl starts to explore and may even consider masturbating. We have established what masturbation is. We've established it's normal. It's healthy. There is nothing wrong with it. There is no shame in it. It is something that both men and women and and people of all uh, identities, um, however they identify, can take part in. Self-pleasure is completely beautiful and fine and okay and healthy. Now, that segues into our next question about orgasms. The male orgasm and the female orgasm, whether it's achieved through masturbation, whether it's achieved through sexual intercourse, however that's achieved, talk us through what is the difference between the male and female orgasm? Sure. So, Zabina, I think we uh, may have spoken a little bit about this in our first episode when we spoke a little bit about sex, but we can talk about it here as well, just to kind of keep it consistent. So the female orgasm... um, as we discussed before, is all-encompassing. It's an all-encompassing term for any type of orgasm or climax related to the female genitalia. 
Um, it can be clitoral, vaginal, cervical, or all of the above. And um, the erogenous zones that we had spoken about before, such as the nipples, behind the ears, neck, or other sensitive areas, can contribute to the um, arousal and orgasm. Uh, usually the physical signs that we're talking about with a female orgasm include rapid contraction of the vagina and the uterus, involuntary muscle contractions in other parts of the body and abdomen, um, fast heart rate, increase in blood pressure, and like we talked a little bit about before, and you had mentioned about the female um, squirting, but women may ejaculate, and um, and that's usually the difference in how some women experience orgasm. So some women may ejaculate, some women not. And even if they do ejaculate, it's it's a tiny amount. It's nothing like what the male orgasm is like uh, in terms of the quantity of an ejaculate. Well, um, if we talk about the female orgasm, right? So squirting may or may not be a thing. A lot of it is speculation right. as you're talking about, right? Yeah. And and you, you, you know, we all know, or I hope most of us know what the signs of an orgasm are, right? So it's, you know, the heightened um, sensitivity and the, the flushed feeling and the temperature and the heart rate and the contraction of your muscles and all of that, right? If you orgasm once, like, and I know that this is a difference between male and female orgasms. If a female orgasms once, she can orgasm again multiple times. That is possible and within quick succession, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so the difference um, in the female orgasm is that, you know, they can last from 13 to 51 seconds even. And uh, while male orgasms typically last from 10 to 30 seconds, and women are generally less likely to have a refractory period like their male counterparts, um, after an orgasm. So women can have multiple orgasms compared to men. And um, both sexes are able to have multiple orgasms. But like we spoke about, men usually have a refractory time, whereas women don't. So yes, absolutely. Women can have multiple orgasms in one night. And so when you're talking about refractory time, you're talking about the recovery time, their downtime, absolutely. right? So yeah. Yeah. If a man, if if a if a, a man comes orgasms, what is the typical refractory time or the downtime before he is able to become aroused again to have sex? Males have a refractory period of fifteen minutes if if they're eighteen years old. While those in their seventies <laughs> their refractory time can be twenty hours. Oh my God. All right. But we got to say that without you laughing about the 70 year olds, because maybe we got 70 year old listeners, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. With the average for all men being approximately half an hour. Oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But some, men, some men just go to bed after they yeah. yeah, maybe that's why they go to bed, Sadaf, because, you know, 20 hours, that's like, you know, they got like work the next day, right? So, I mean, okay. So, you know, men, you know, if there are men listening, right, we know you like to think that you orgasm and then you're ready to go. But the science proves that that is a lie. When you were 18, you needed at least 15 minutes. And right now, on average, you need about 30. All right. So we appreciate you and we applaud your efforts, but we'll see you in 30 minutes. Okay. Uh, now, now that we have established 
male refractory versus female refractory. And also, by the way, I will say this, okay? And this is me, you know, off off tangent here, but just because men, the male refractory period is 30 minutes does not mean that you cannot pleasure your partner in those 30 minutes, right? So you can lie there and catch your breath, but in 30 minutes, if your partner, right, is ready to go and is able to go, please, out of the goodness of your heart, do not make her wait the 30 minutes that may or may not be closer to the 20 hours that Sada just mentioned some people's refractory periods might be. So this is your public service announcement from me. Moving on. The next topic here, Osada, this is like your favorite topic, sex toys and lube. Okay. So this is, everybody that's listening, Osada's favorite topic. And it's so favorite. And it's so much of her favorite that she has decided that I should talk about it and not her. But sex toys and lube. And the reason we talk about this, and again, why we want to even, why we're even doing this podcast and why we're having this conversation is to normalize sex, to normalize pleasure, to normalize the sexual experience in all its shapes, all its forms, all its iterations, all its participants, all its types. And that means that it's okay, right, to explore different types of sexual intercourse or to to innovate in your sexual intercourse, whether that is not just in different sexual positions, but by introducing sex toys, by utilizing lubricants, which by the way, there's so much, um, there is so much toxic thinking around sex toys and lube, Sadaf. So people will often say that, oh, you know, you shouldn't need lube, right? If you need lube, that means you're not aroused or you're not so turned on by your partner. And that's just blatantly and patently false. There is nothing wrong. You could be extremely turned on by your partner and you could still utilize lube. There's no reason not to. And that's not indicative of you not being aroused. That's correct. I mean, I mean, there's, there can be multiple reasons for not enough lubrication. You know, some women that um, have their ovaries removed. So remember that estrogen plays a huge role in lubrication. So if, for example, a woman is in menopause, right? She may not uh, be able to get lubricated enough. Or if a woman went through chemo and it affected her ovaries, uh, she may not be able to get enough lubrication for intercourse. So, you know, it also, um, and then there are definitely, if, you know, if a woman is, say, depressed or, you know, has some mental health concerns, then that might be a reason also why she, why she can't um, get lubricated and may not, um, you know, it may require some lubrication, but there's definitely nothing wrong with a woman that is not able to be, is not able to have enough lubrication on her own, right? There's nothing wrong with using uh, a lubricant such as a water-based lubricant. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you know, that's encouraged if if intercourse is painful and she she feels like she needs something. Yeah. And, um, and to make it more pleasurable for her. Right. So yeah. there's absolutely nothing wrong with using lubrication, nothing at all. Yeah. And even if there is not a medical indicator, such as, you know, a, a dry vagina or some kind of underlying illness or a, a reason for not producing lubrication or adequate lubrication, 
Again, sex toys and lube can be utilized to enhance your sexual experience, right? So you can use, I mean, there is warming lube, there are CBD lubes, there are lubes of all varieties, but sort of, I think we should clearly tell people what is and is not lube. So please do not take out like butter spray and start spraying yourselves. <laughs> there are medical grade lubricants that are specifically designed, uh, specifically designed for sexual intercourse. And that is what you should use and nothing outside of that. That's correct, Isabine. So, you know, the most common types of lubricants are water-based lubricants. You don't want to use anything like olive oil, or, you know, as a lubricant, for example, just because sometimes that can interfere with contraception, such as a condom, right? So that olive oil can make condoms um, more permeable, meaning like um, viruses and bacteria can go through that condom and then infect the partner. So, Condoms are actually the best way to prevent sexually transmitted infections between two individuals. And um, the ones that work the best are latex or plastic condoms. Um, the one that doesn't work as great in terms of preventing the sexually transmitted infection are the lambskin condoms. And we're talking about male condoms here, not the female condoms. So, um, so that's why it's so important to know what type of lubricant you're using and whether or not, say, you're in a monogamous relationship or you're not, um, will kind of dictate, you know, what type of lubricant you want to use. And just be mindful that if you're using something like olive oil, your condom may not work as well to prevent a sexually transmitted infection. Yeah. Or to prevent an unwanted pregnancy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so lubricants... Great, fun, fine. Please use the right type of lubricants. Don't go foraging around your kitchen for something to utilize in the bedroom, right? What's in the kitchen should be in the kitchen. What's in the bedroom should be in the bedroom. Yeah. Now, when it comes to sex toys, Sadaf, we should, you know, we should reinforce to clean your sex toys to, yes, absolutely. you know, keep them in a safe, clean place to wash with soap and water after Absolutely. each use, um, to not share necessarily between partners, right? Correct. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to mention about sex toys? Um, well, uh, you know, I think what's important to note is that <laughs> my experience here is very limited, contrary to what Zabine is saying. <laughs> But um, no, you're absolutely correct, Sabine, is that if uh, sex toys are to be used, it's so important to keep them clean because you don't want to be passing any type of infection from one partner to another. And so I, I would say that the, that's probably the most important thing is just to wash with just basic soap and water and wash in between partners. Yeah. Well, so now that we've covered sex toys and lube, we can move on to, now, now that we have covered sex toys and lube, we've covered the mechanics of sexual intercourse. Let's, not let's now talk about the sex itself, right? So the next thing we want to touch upon was foreplay, right? And um, again, there's a lot of work that we have to do, especially from a cultural perspective in terms of um, you know, unpacking this idea that sex is just the man and the women, the, the man and the woman, or the woman and the woman, or the man and the man, or the consenting partners get together and, you know, they immediately just go at it and 
boom, you orgasm, right? That's not how it works. Or if that's how it works, somebody is not happy in that situation about how this is working. So foreplay is important to sexual intercourse for a number of reasons, many of which are based in science and in research. So share with us a little bit about the importance of foreplay. Sure. So, you know, as you probably, of course, know, uh, foreplay is just really any sexual activity such as kissing or petting, etc. That's before intercourse. Um, it's important both for physical and psychological arousal because it helps build emotional intimacy and physical connection. Um, you know, proper foreplay should, of course, be consensual and, of course, be enjoyable to both of the partners. And it can elicit positive physical response, like an increase in heart rate and blood pressure, and it actually increases blood flow to the genitals and it causes lubrication of the vagina. So like we were talking about before with um, lubricants. Um, foreplay, you know, if it's done right, can enhance pleasure and the intensity of orgasm for both the partners. Um, it doesn't always have to lead to intercourse. You know, there can be foreplay without intercourse, and it's really whatever feels good to both of the partners. And like we said before, consent is absolutely mandatory, right? For foreplay or for intercourse or for any of these things. Um, in consideration of the other person's feelings are always important. And foreplay is a safe and excellent way for you and your partner to both explore each other's bodies. And for those of you that are in... Um that are in heterosexual relationships, right? You can get pregnant during foreplay, right? If there is some penetration involved, even not full penetration, but pre-cum, right? There is sperm in pre-cum. And I was paying attention in sixth grade health class, uh, Sadaf, that, you know, anytime, you know, the penis comes near the vagina or even enters the vagina or there is any measure of penetration, please be sure that if you are not looking for a pregnancy, that you are taking the correct steps to prevent it, um, utilizing contraception. So um, yeah. that is important. Absolutely. I mean, definitely with penetration, right? So I think that's called the withdrawal method where, you know, you'll have penetration and then um, the male will withdraw before ejaculating, ejaculating within the vagina. And of course, you know, there is some sperm that can be released and absolutely, you know, the pregnancy could occur. I mean, the chances are low. However, if you're not looking to get pregnant at all, you know, the best thing is to use some type of contraceptive device. Um, and honestly, the condoms are the cheapest, fastest, and easiest, um, type of contraception out there that prevent both sexually transmitted infections and pregnancy. And actually, to be fair, um, all three of them will prevent pregnancy, the lambskin, the latex, and the plastic uh, silicone um, condoms, all three prevent pregnancy. It's just the lambskin condom that does not prevent sexually transmitted infections. So that's important to know. Very important. Now, you know, <laughs> Even though, you know, the, the next thing that we're going to talk about is libido and arousal, right? And oftentimes we get, you know, carried away in the heat of the moment, right? And again, always, if you are planning to have intercourse or even if you're not, 
but are sexually active, keep a, a method of contraception on you at all times. Even if you are a woman, there is nothing wrong with you carrying a condom with you, right? So if you are sexually active, if you are planning to have sex, um, don't always rely on your partner to have the contraception. It is always prudent to make sure that you have the you you have the contraception on you. You'll know that it's safe. You'll know it's up to date. It's not expired. Um, and this way, you also have that peace of mind that you are protected against STDs and, of course, against unwanted pregnancies as well. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about libido and arousal, right? There's a lot of talk about getting in the mood, being in the mood. Sometimes I'm more in the mood than my partner. Sometimes my partner is more in the mood than me. Sometimes I am super in the mood. Sometimes I am not at all. What is libido? What is arousal? How does it work? And when do we raise some flags about maybe something being off? Sure, sure. So libido is, you know, another word to describe the person's sex drive or sexual appetite. Um, it has a lot to do with how a person is mentally feeling, right? Their brain function, hormones, learned behavior. And of course, that can all fluctuate during a person's life. And according to their mental state, their state of health, their hormonal shifts, stress, medication, life circumstances, any of those things can affect libido. Um, sometimes medications such as antidepressants will affect libido. Sometimes birth control can affect libido. So there's multiple things that can affect it. Um, those with a high libido naturally find it easier to achieve sexual arousal or excitement, while those with a low libido can find it more difficult. Um, some people find that, you know, encouraging foreplay or spending more time with foreplay can enhance um, libido and sexual arousal. Um, you know, I guess the question that sometimes comes up is, is there some such a thing as too low or too high libido? And, um, you know, there's no such thing as like a normal level of libido, but it can be considered too high if it starts to interfere with your life, right? Your relationships, your work, and if the sexual desire takes over your thoughts and behavior, and if it's your only motivation, and if you use sex to cope, um, with or distract from mental and emotional challenges, that can be a problem. And sex um, addiction is a real thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, of course, there's no um, clinical definition of what's too low of a libido, but if your lack of libido, your desire to want to have sex, you know, starts affecting your relationship with your partner, then that might be a time that you seek out medical advice, right, and delve into why or what may be causing your low libido. And of course, it may not be you. It may be the medications that you're on that affect your um, libido. And to be honest, a lot of the antidepressants will affect libido. So if somebody is on an antidepressant, that would be my first thing to check, right? The side effects, which may cause, um, those medications may cause a low libido. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because a lot of times... And a lot of the blame is unfairly placed on the woman, right? Mm -hmm. When there is a lack of sex in the relationship or there is a, uh, a mismatch in the libido or the arousal levels. But as you mentioned, Sadaf, libido, arousal, this is directly connected to your mental state, right? The, stress that, mm -hmm. the stress that you're under, the love and affection and the care and the concern that you feel from your partners, foreplay, right? And foreplay isn't just physical, as you mentioned, it's also mental. It's, 
you know, it's stimulation across all different channels. So, you know, there it's, it's not your fault if your libido is, is low, your arousal is low. You know, there are things in your environment that are not encouraging or boosting your libido. And that is an indicator of either maybe things in your relationship that need to change or perhaps, you know, if it's a medical underlying medical thing, something to speak to your doctor about. Absolutely. Absolutely, Sabine. So the last thing before we wrap up is after we wrap up from having sex, right? What is the ideal post-sex hygiene? So I was always told, you know, get up, you know, wash up, pee, before and after you have sex to prevent UTIs. Is that like true? Is it not true? And even if it's not true and it's just an old wives tale, I've been doing it for so long. I just, I can't stop. I'm going to be peeing before and after, but what is the best thing to take care of yourself and your body after you have sex? Right. So, you know, we talk about post-sex hygiene. Uh, One of the most important things is to drink water before and after sex. And that kind of goes along with what you were saying, right? To pee before and after. I think um, washing your hands and washing the area around your genitals with just water, right? That'll flush away the bacteria that might be there um, after intercourse. Um, One of the things that I would definitely recommend is to not douche. Douching is just not a good practice just because it gets rid of the normal bacteria that are meant to be in the vagina. And, you know, it can lead to yeast infections and to bacterial vaginosis. So, I think that, you know, douching, if you can, you definitely probably should just avoid that Um, because your vagina, it just cleans and balances itself naturally and there's no need to douche. And we're talking about douching for anyone that's unfamiliar. You're talking about when you're squirting some sort of either chemically infused water or cleansing type of solution into your vagina. Um, And that is a really bad idea. Do not do that. Your vagina self cleans anything that it cannot clean you can clean externally just by simply using water. All right, absolutely. And, um, you know, avoid scented personal care products near your genital area. And like you were talking about, Sabine, you know, empty your bladder after sex to flush out any bacteria and be sure to always wipe from front to back, not the opposite, right? And um, wear cotton underwear that fits well and something that's not too tight to maintain air circulation in the genital area. And like we talked about before, if there's any type of sex toys that are being used, make sure that you clean them well with soap and water and, um, you know, according to the instructions on the package. And of course, better not to share toys. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've, we've covered quite a bit today, right? We've talked about masturbation, healthy, normal to be celebrated, nothing wrong with it, and no shame. We talked about orgasms, male and female. We talked about the male refractory period versus the female refractory period. We talked about sex toys and lube. We talked about foreplay. We talked about libido and arousal. And we talked about post-sex hygiene. So the that's has, yeah, that that's all, right? That's all we <laughs> talked about. It's I mean, as always, it's been real and it's been really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.